630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Very special guest in studio. She's been named the player of the week in the world by ESPN. It's a little sports outlet in the United States. Sometimes they show the odd game or two. I think it's been around for a while. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'm pleased to be joined in studio by Riley Scorgi. Riley, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming in. And your dad, Adam, is here as well. Hi, Adam. Hey, Reed. Thanks for having me. Adam and I have talked before, and uh, and we'll get to you in, in a second. Riley, I really appreciate you coming in. Uh, I know you have a hockey game tonight. Uh, how old are you? 11. You're 11. Uh, what team do you play on? Ice Guardians. The Ice Guardians. Uh, so is this, what's the age range? Are you all, what, like, what, 11, 12, 10, 11, or what is it? Yeah, around that age. Yeah, okay. 11, 12, first and second. She's a first-year Wee. Awesome. Now, how are you doing this year? Uh, pretty good. I, I'm on my 54th goal this year. So um, what have you played, like 70, 80 games to get to that? No, uh, 20 games. Oh, my goodness. You have 54 goals in 20 games. Yes. And that includes one tournament, of course. But, yes, she's got 50 regular season goals and uh, uh, 54 and then eight assists. So she's she's doing all right. That is amazing. And I assume your team's doing pretty well then, too. Yeah. Okay. So is this a minor hockey week uh, game tonight, or is it a, a separate game? Yeah, it's a minor hockey week game. Oh, okay. Well, th- uh, thank you again for coming in on a game night, because some players don't speak on game days. <laughs> So I appreciate that you're willing to. No problem. But Riley, there's there's more to your story than just you scoring a lot of goals. Can you tell us uh, what happened to you recently? Were you not feeling well? Um, I was in Park City visiting my grandparents, and we were walking around at the zoo, and I noticed that my legs didn't feel normal. Like, they felt jiggly. It didn't feel right to walk. And, of course, when I told my dad, he was kind of joking. He was like, oh, Muffin, stop it. Uh, It's fine. It's probably like the... Growing pains and stuff, we thought. Yeah, sometimes you don't feel well, right? Yeah, sure. But it got worse uh, the more I kept on ignoring it. Uh, The next day, I couldn't go up the stairs properly i had to hold on to the railing and kind of walk like a crab up the stairs wow Uh, i couldn't chase after my brothers without falling and hurting myself so when was this um it was in the fall would have been like september so we're talking five six months ago not that long ago yeah so you were basically like almost losing use of your muscles yes so did you did you find out what you had or what you have uh yes guillain-barre syndrome Okay, that sounds pretty scary. I think Patrick Eves from the Anaheim Ducks has that. Correct. Yeah. So, Riley, you you weren't feeling great. You you were having trouble walking, and then did you eventually go to to the doctor? What did you have to go through to get better? Uh, We did a few tests. Like, he 
checked to see if my nerves were okay. They were very low. And he made me do like grinning in the halls to see how fast I could run. Um, it was kind of, it felt weird. I couldn't run as fast as I normally could. It was really scary. Were you scared you weren't going to be able to play hockey again? Yeah, that's what kind of was most, uh, mostly sad about having Guillain-Barre syndrome is that I was worried that I wasn't able going to be, uh, wasn't able to be back on the ice again. Adam, life throws you all kinds of curveballs. How as a dad did you deal with this one? Uh, not well. <laughs> Lauren, my wife and I, you know, just out of concern for your kid, you... You, you, you don't understand like she had you know at Riley mentioned you kind of brush it off at first when you're like what and then when we saw it, like she's having troubles getting up the stairs you're, you're almost like hey quit fooling around like go up the stairs right and she's like I can't and then we're like what do you mean and then you know we went to one specialist and the good thing is I'll say the med- like both Grey Nun sent us to the stallery first night and like they did a million tests of muscle reflexes and but that's what's really weird is you'd see like you know you get the normal test on your knee you get kicked to see how your reflexes hers just wouldn't move Right, and then they were testing, you know, and my wife and I start Googling stuff and that's not good. You start scaring yourself, like muscular dystrophy shows up, MS, like brain tumors, like you're just like, or back, everything almost leads to cancer, right? So we'd start panicking and then they went to the stallery and then they did a whole bunch of tests and you know, I also, I didn't want to cry in front of her, but they had her walk a straight line. They're like, just walk like this is a tightrope, right? And she couldn't do it. It was like she was drunk. She kept falling and falling and, you know, I'm like, what? And then they finally came back because her face drooped like Bell's palsy too. And then they finally said, oh, it's Gillian Bure. And then we we're, or I think she even pronounces it better than me. But um, that's when we started looking at that. And all they can really do is kind of throw steroids and antivirus meds and, and hope. They said it could be anywhere from three months to two years. And who knows oh. if it progressively gets worse. Yeah. Riley, give us that proper pronunciation again. You got to teach us secret guys. Gillian Barre syndrome. Gillian Barre. 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 Okay. So, so you found out finally what you had. What did you have to do to get better? Was it just like, could you do any physical things to get better? Did you have to spend some time in the hospital? What happened once you found out? Um, it was kind of fifty-fifty. Like part of it. I got better by like practicing walking up the stairs, practice running uh, outside where there's grass so then I wouldn't hurt myself. And part of it is just hoping and praying that uh, you won't have to have Guillain-Barre syndrome for over a year. Did you have days where you felt better, or did it kind of get a little worse every day before it started getting better, or how did it progress? It kind of started out as a cough, and then ever since the cough, it got worse, and I wasn't able to walk or run without falling, and then it kind of got better as the days went by. So when did you start feeling better, like, oh, hey, hey, I might be getting my movement back? Um... Is it hard to pinpoint an exact time? Yeah. yeah. When did you skate? When did you get back on skates? Um, it was actually at a hockey camp. was the first time I got back on my skates. And I felt like I was back in novice where I could not skate. And I was just kind of holding on to my stick, trying to catch some balance. And I had to have, like, two coaches holding on to each arm, helping me move my feet. Wow. 
That was a horrifying day. We brought her there. She insisted on going to this camp to prepare for the tryouts because she really wanted to try to make the A team. And I was like, Riley, like we, Lauren and I could see her struggling getting up the stairs. We're like, I don't think it's good for you to go on skates. But she was like, no, I want to go see. So we went and I mean, I had to run down. We were at Twilliger and it looked like she'd been knocked out and concussed and she had to get helped off by two of her friends. She couldn't. And everyone that knew her was like, what's going on with Riley? Like, we've seen her, we've coached her. And, and at that point, they were still saying it was Bell's palsy and it was affecting her eardrum and her balance. Oh, so you started skating again before you knew it was Jillian Barry's? Just that one time. Okay, okay. Uh, and then we got the diagnosis. We went back to the hospital, but, you know, this little trooper... Uh, I ran down to the ice and said, okay, you don't got to prove anything. Let's go. Let's go back to the doctor. This is like, it was scaring me. Right. And she was scared looking at me like, dad, why does my body not work right? And then, uh, she was like, no, I'm staying on the ice. And she went in the corner and just kind of slowly went around cones and just tried to figure out her balance. And, you know, poor, she handled it better than I would or most adults. She, other kids were like, why is this kid in this high tempo class? And she's in the corner and she can't even skate. Right. And other girls that knew Riley were like, no, she can play. There's something going on with her right now. Um, Riley, did, what what were your, your dad kind of touched about what were your teammates and and your friends like through this? Uh, They were really supportive, but I think my friends were really scared as well. They were really shocked that I couldn't skate, and they were also helping me trying to move my feet. They were like, oh, Riley, what's wrong? Riley, what's wrong? You're not skating like you usually would. Like, usually you'd been blowing past all these cones. But... So, well, maybe this is a stupid question for someone who scored 54 goals in 19 or 20 games. Do you feel 100% right now? Do you feel back to how you did before you were sick? Yes. You do? Yeah. And how long have you felt that way? For about a couple, like a month or two, I've felt 100%. So were you, like you said, your friends were scared. Were you scared? Because I, I, I ask because sometimes it's weird, like your dad kind of touched on, sometimes the person going through it is the least scared of everybody involved. Like, were you scared or did you just think, okay, I got to deal with it and, and beat it? I was kind of scared. Um, and I also kind of didn't really care because the doctor encouraged me to get better. But another part of me was really scared because, well, part of it was because my mom was Googling all these things and calling me and being, oh, my gosh, you might have a brain tumor. Something's wrong with you. You need to come home now. Yeah, you need to keep moms away from the computer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've had a mom a long time. She's like that, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Adam, so now from the, the parents' perspective, are you, are you confident, Kate? We're good. Do you still live with... I mean, this has all happened relatively quickly. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, the doctor said we went to... Again, I have to really give a shout-out to the, the medical care. Like, you know, they had her in the stallery, and then we went to another specialist, and they did a gamut of tests, and um, they're pretty convinced it was just a one-off. Just she got sick, and because she's young and healthy, she obviously didn't get it as bad as other people that go through Guillain-Barre, too. Like, some people are reduced to a wheelchair and have to have assisted breathing. And so, you know, right from the get-go, her symptoms, although scary and horrifying to us as far as the condition goes weren't as bad as they could go so they're quite convinced it was just a weird like you know she got sick got this immune deficient like you're never going to find out where this came from this was just a one in a million five million 
That's what the wow. both specialists think, especially because she started getting, you know, uh, improvements fairly early after the steroids. And we also, her mom booked her to do, like, every, we look Googled every homeopathic way as well as, like, you know, acupuncture and suction cups and, like, oh, poor girl was going through all I these things, that. too. <laughs> yeah. She went through everything it. to try to get back and get back on the ice and, and not let it wear her down. I, you know, I, 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 I still am just so proud of how well she handled because I know at my age, I, I think if I was 11, I would have been a little whiny brat the whole time and complaining, why me, and this and that. Yeah. And I think she handled it better than, than my wife and I did. Well, Riley, you're a great story. What did you think when you found out ESPN had been named you Player of the Week in the World? I was really shocked. I just, I didn't know that, I thought it was just innocent that my dad would post a picture of me scoring my 50th goal. I thought it would just be innocent and people would look at it and they'd be inspired, but I didn't think that it would lead up to me being on the newspaper and the best hockey player of the week. And now the radio. And now the radio. And now now Inside Sports with my legion of listeners, for sure. Uh, Riley, what's your favorite hockey movie? My favorite hockey movie? (laughs) Documentary. Obviously, my dad. <laughs> Ice Guardians. Got to get the plug in there. You've heard her, Adam on the show before. Her team's named after yeah, it. Yeah, I'm just going to say that's, that's perfect. Okay, I know you guys have to go to a game, so you got to leave in about a minute. Riley, uh, who do you play tonight? Uh, they played Sherwood the Park? Yeah, Sherwood Park, Park females. Yeah. Where are you playing? At Kill, Kill... You told me yesterday. Yeah, I, I forgot. forgot you know where you're going. I just know Team Snap. You Seven, 7.30. Yeah. And, and, uh, and is this... Uh, the what You're trying to get to the finals? For semifinals, yeah. So this is semifinals They tonight. win tonight. They go to the finals, yeah. Awesome. Well, Riley, you're a great story. Th- again, thank you for coming in on, on a game day. I really appreciate you making time for us. Uh, Adam, thanks to, to you as well. Adam, next time we talk, it'll be more on on your career. But Riley's the star today. Uh, I am I am all for my daughter and kids surpassing me. So I, all about her. So proud of her. Inside Sports on six thirty, Chad Riley Scorgi, incredible story. We're back after the break. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio six thirty, Chad. Appreciate all the text to 630, 630. I got a couple of emails as well to inside sports at 630ched.com. That was great to have Riley Scorgi in studio. She's 11. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying the name of the syndrome right. Uh, Jillian Berry's syndrome uh, disorder that affected her. Obviously, she talked about basically losing the strength in her muscles. This was uh, in September. Her dad, Adam, who you know from being on this show several times, he's a movie producer, best known for his awesome hockey documentary, Ice Garden Guardians. He's also currently working on a movie, by the way, about Grant Fuhr called Making Coco. But the story there was Riley. And first of all, whether she... Just the fact that she came back from that and, and battled through it and was so tough is is a story in itself. And made even greater by the fact that she is a scoring machine this season with uh, 54 goals in 20 games and going to play in minor hockey week tonight has a game coming up at 7.30. Travis says, Riley and Adam's interview was the best I've heard on 6.30 Chet in a while. Very inspiring. Good luck, Riley. That's from Travis. Trucker Dave, who's a regular texter, says, good interview. What a trooper. 
Another texter says, I was just listening to your show. That little girl is inspirational. I have tears in my eyes in my truck listening to her candor. That is one special child. Good for you for promoting what she has done. Sean says, Reed, how do you get such great interviews night after night? Riley is great. All the best wishes to her. Another texter says, uh, good job with the young girl in the interview. She is quite the story. Just some of the stuff coming in to 630-630. Absolutely appreciate Riley and Adam coming in. She is an incredible story. And, uh, yeah, man, all the best to her. And it was interesting. I mean, certainly you heard it in the interview, but sitting here and Adam mentioned that he was kind of a wreck as a dad going through that. And she was tougher than a lot of the adults in in her life. And even watching them during the interview, Riley was telling the story in a very sort of -of matter-of-fact way. And I could see on Adam's face her talking about it. He was kind of reliving it and all the um, emotions he went through. And she was very almost stoically just saying, all right, here's what happened. I had to do A, B, and C. Came back and played hockey, and she's doing great. I'm so happy that that they came in the studio. Thanks for your feedback as well. Of course, the text line is 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. And I mentioned the email, insidesports at 630ched.com. And if you ever have a story idea, somebody maybe uh, in your community, in your neighborhood, that is a great sports story. Uh, We probably have between five and ten guests on the show a year that are generated by you because somebody writes in and says, hey, Reed, I wonder if this will fit your show. We'll always look into it and uh, and see if it's somebody that we can profile. So that was fun to have on the show. And it's going to be more coming up. Enforcers Week will continue with Brent Gogol. It's Enforcers Week Volume 2. He was the star of Volume 1, so he's coming back. And Greg Hoggut is going to be on the show. Former Edmonton Oiler, former teammate of Rob Brown and Jr. He's after the 6.30 news. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is Inside Sports on 6.30 Chet. NHL tonight, Canadians and Bruins 1-1 after the first. Penguins and Ducks in a bird battle a little bit later on. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. i got to thank Blair for texting the show. Adam and I were, uh, were uh, joking during that very serious interview with Adam's daughter, Riley, that we were uh, most likely butchering the pronunciation of the syndrome that she had. Blair says, uh, Reed, the pronunciation of the syndrome is Guillain-Barre. It's a nervous system disorder where the immune system attacks the nerves. That girl is a trooper. Not a fun deal. My mother-in-law went through this great story. That is from Blair. And Blair, thanks for the pronunciation. I hope I was able to get it there. And yes, Patrick Eaves of the Anaheim Ducks uh, currently dealing with that as well. It is 6.34. Inside Sports presents Legends of the Game. Well... This gentleman was recommended as a guest. So I guess he's got a lot to live up to. And the person who recommended him is the gentleman who you hear me on air with after every Oilers game on overtime open line. They were once teammates in the Western Hockey League. It was Rob Brown who said, Reed, you should get Greg Hoggett on the show. So we've done just that. Hi, Greg. Welcome to Inside Sports. Hi, Reed. How are you? I'm doing well. So I, I don't know if that makes it... 
uh, easier or harder for you to do this interview now that you know it's all because of Rob Brown? <laughs> well, there's lots lots of Oilers fans at work, so once in a while we get to put you guys on, and uh, so I'm I'm used to listening to Brownie on the radio now. <laughs> There, there you go. I, I asked him if he wanted to uh, join in during the interview, but he's uh, he's got a family commitment tonight, so it's it, it's just going to be uh, uh, you and me. Greg, thanks for being willing to to do this. Uh, let people know before we get into some of the stuff uh, like playing with Rob and some of your memories. Let people know what you're up to now, because I, I understand you took kind of a, an interesting path in life once hockey was done. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Uh, I moved back to Camels once my playing career was over, and um, I'm currently working at a, uh, a maximum security prison in town. Wow, doing what? Well, we we changed uh, we changed jobs every two years. So um, my new position in the current year is I work in the control booth, so um, facilitate moves throughout the jail, the fire alarm systems. Um, jail counts, kind of all the movements and phone calls and uh, safety um, issues that might occur, um, you know, in the, in the course of a day. Greg, that's amazing. And and I respect that because of the nature of that job, there's probably a lot of details that, that you can't go into, but you're basically dealing firsthand with some guys who have done some bad stuff, I guess, would, would be a way to put it mildly. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's certainly a different work environment for sure. I think um, you know the biggest asset is your communication skills. Um, you know, if um, if you can communicate well, then um, you know most of the time um, there's not a lot of issues. You know, sometimes things are out of your control, but certainly um, you know they feed off your behavior a little bit too. So if you conduct yourself professionally and communicate well, then uh, um, for the most part, knock on wood, things go well. How did you, and I don't mean this sarcastically, but I have to word it this way. How did you possibly get into that once you were done with hockey? Well, uh, when I retired, uh, the first job that I had was I was managing an arena in town. Um, and I did that just short of a year. And then I had a brief opportunity to um, be on the coaching staff with the Camus Blazers, um, which I really enjoyed. It just was unfortunate circumstances with the sale of the team and um, you know, coaching and general manager changes. And then I was finding myself, um, you know, I obviously everybody that plays hockey would love to stay in the game. So I was looking into interviewing for different coaching positions, scouting jobs, um, that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, nothing came the first summer. And so I kept applying during the wintertime. And, and, um, and so um, I, I just started looking, you know, you know, what if the possibility of hockey isn't in the cards? And um, so I just started applying uh, for different careers in and around Kamloops. And um, uh, the uh, the jail ended up calling me and I thought, you know, I can I can take the training and see if I like it. And then, you know, nine years later, um, here I am. So what, and we are going to talk about hockey, but this is a really interesting path you're taking. What do you like about it? Because I'm just, I hate to speak for a lot of people listening, but I would think working in a maximum security prison wouldn't be something people associate with, you know, a good day or, or you know, job fulfillment. So what is it about the job that uh, makes you feel like you're doing something important and that, and that you like? Well, I think the, I mean, the obvious thing is, is that you're, you're, 
you know, you're taking people off the streets to help your community stay safe. And, uh, and you know, and there's, then there's the other part of it where there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of individuals there that, that circumstances in life, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, odd, oddly enough, it, it's almost not their fault. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess the best part of it is, is when, when you can do something to make a change in people or, you know, make sure that, um, you know, if you run into them on the street that they say, hey, you really helped me and I haven't been back to jail. Those types of things, I think, um, you know, you're still in a in a people business. Um, it's odd to kind of talk that way, you know, when most people don't think of it like that. But, you know, you're dealing with human beings and some of them have just, uh, you know, fallen on some hard times or circumstances in life that they haven't really had a fair shake. And so some people are in there, um, you know, perpetually and, and they're always going to be back. But there's always... Some people that um, that you you can see improvement in them while they're there, and then um, they are successful when they leave. So um, you know you you do what you can, and you just try and help as much as possible. That's amazing. Greg Hoggett joining us on Inside Sports. 474 games in the NHL, including a few dozen with the Edmonton Oilers in the early 1990s. And uh, an absolutely sensational career in the WHL with the Kamloops Blazers. Had up to 133 points in his best season, 87-88. Kamloops was uh, obviously a power. You know, we mentioned Rob was on that team uh, with you. He scored a ton as well. But I, I got to ask you about the one of the guys who's really associated with that era of the Kamloops Blazers. When I say the name Ken Hitchcock, what comes to mind? Well, I think uh, you know it was an interesting circumstance with uh, um, you know Brownie and I had been on the team when the Edmonton Oilers owned us, and we went to the Memorial Cup when we were both fifteen. And with the sale of the team, brought a lot of change and. You know, getting a guy like Hitch, um, who I think had been coaching in Sherwood Park Midget before that, um, it was it was a good situation. We had a lot of talent on our team, um, a lot of guys returning from that Memorial Cup, um, the team that went, and and I I would say that Hitch was kind of ahead of his time. Um, he's so he's so good at figuring out ways to beat systems and put people in um, positions to succeed. So. You know, and back then in the 80s, it was all about scoring goals. So for me, as a defenseman, I didn't really like spending a lot of time back there. I'd rather move up the ice with the puck. And so he was really, I mean, good for me because he never um, got upset when I when I rushed with it or whatever. And he just put great systems into play before systems were really around and just, you know, made us, um, made us a good team. He expected a lot out of us. Um, you know, we we had to work hard in practice, and so you know we had a lot of talent. But he was really good at um, getting the most out of everyone. What were some of his tactics uh, in terms of motivation? Maybe ones that would be frowned upon in this day and age. Because I know Rob has a couple of pretty incredible stories. Well, I'm sure there's a few um, that you probably can't talk about on air, but <laughs> right. um, but that but I think I think that was just really what we were used to um you know um i think the yelling and the things that happened back then um probably aren't um things that motivate people anymore um but like you say he got mad at us when we deserved it and uh um but you know he created an environment where um it just wasn't acceptable to lose and we just hated to lose and so um you know, I'm sure Browning can tell you there was games where we, we would even win by three or four goals and we just weren't happy with the way we played. And so 
I mean, I can't say anything negative about the environment I was in here for for five years because it really helped me um, prepare to be a pro. And like you say, today, those tactics probably are not acceptable, but I think at the time, um, that's just the way players were motivated and, and, you know, and, and it did work then for sure. Greg Hoggett joining us on Inside Sports. You know, you broke in, obviously you, you were drafted by uh, Boston uh, in the 10th round, 202nd overall. You had, uh, you know, a couple pretty good offensive seasons with the Bruins. You came to the Oilers. You were Flyers, Panthers, uh, Penguins, uh, I think Canucks and Stars later on in, in your career. Give me a sense of, of and I, I, I respectfully realize this might be hard to sum up, but uh, I remember you. I don't think you were the biggest guy in the world. Certainly, you could skate and put up points. When you look back on your career, I mean, can you kind of give a, a scouting report of yourself? Like, do you ever look back and say, yeah, I was good at this, but I was pigeonholed like this? Because sometimes guys do kind of get pigeonholed, right? And and that can lead to sometimes difficulty sticking with a team, right? Yeah, I think, I think you know, being, you know, five foot eight and a half defenseman at the time, was kind of an odd an odd thing you didn't see too many people um that were that size especially playing defense and the league was much it was i think there was more body contact and there it was just a different game and so um you know with with the success of of putting up points then obviously there's going to be a little bit of uh you know given the defensive zone because you know your size you would just get all muscled sometimes so i think some in some instances on the teams that i did I did play on, I kind of got pigeonholed, you know, more of just the power play specialist type of guy. And then, um, you know, and then depending on the circumstance, um, you know, they would find a way to kind of move you on. So, um, yeah, it it certainly would have been nice to stay um, longer in in any one of those places. But um, I was pretty fortunate to play as long as I did and, and meet a lot of nice people along the way. I got to ask you, Greg, uh, and you probably get asked about this a lot, but I'm going to be another guy to do it. January 4th, 1987, you were a member of the Canadian World Junior Team. The infamous incident, the punch-up in Piestani, Canada was on the way to winning some sort of a medal, likely the gold, and then the brawl broke out against uh, the Soviet Union, as, as the nation was known at the time. Did, weren't you on the receiving head as some kind of a dirty head button, that brawl, or, or what happened I, there? I, I, yeah, I was, um, um, yeah, I was unfortunately um, on, the, on the wrong end of a headbutt, and um, you know, obviously they don't feel very good, so um, it was just such a bizarre circumstance with um, pretty much a line brawl going on at the time on the ice and you know with full cages in international hockey you know there was no fighting um and so just the way uh, junior hockey was at the time um you know when the other team kind of sent people over the boards it was just a natural reaction for us to jump over and protect our teammates and so i was actually fighting um konstantinov that used to play for detroit for a long time there and unfortunately um I did get headbutted, so I think you know for those guys they were doing some kicking and and biting and some things that Canadians aren't used to um, with fighting. But um, I'm, there's other guys that you know when you turn the lights out and, and stuff like that. There's uh, certainly was a, was a few other injuries, but mine's probably the most noted for sure. What do you? And I don't know if you got a concussion or remember much, but do you remember being back with the team? in the dressing room after it had died down there must have been an odd sense of 
Well, let me ask, was there that odd sense of awesome, we stood up for each other, but oh my God, could this cost us a medal it, being in the tournament next year? I mean, what was the immediate immediate reaction uh, amongst within the team? Well, I think the I think the guys were, I don't want to say excited, but the, the adrenaline was kind of, um, you know, at, at a high, and I think guys amongst that were also surprised at what happened. Um, the coaching staff, um, Bert Templeton and Pat Burns, uh, did a great job and they just came in and told the guys told us to settle down because what we what we kind of thought was going to happen was um we thought that they were probably just going to kick out all the initial participants on the ice and maybe the those first two russian players that jumped over the boards and then we would just continue the game because you know that's what we were used to in junior hockey and so we were just getting prepared um for who was going to be in the penalty box, who was going to get kicked out, and then kind of focusing on the task at hand and making sure that we won by the amount of goals that we needed to win a gold medal. And then um, they came in and said that we got um, disqualified from the tournament. So it was a huge um, shock. And, you know, we were kind of dumbfounded onto why they just canceled the game because, you know, we had everything to lose and they had nothing to lose. So we just really didn't think it was a fair circumstance. Um, but it was such a unique situation that, as you you know you've watched probably the video the referees didn't know what to do nobody really knew how to handle it so um you know there's not much you can change greg you're gonna like this i'm i watched it live <laughs> it was one of those you get up early in the morning and watch it on cbc while you're on christmas holidays from school i would have been uh 12 so yeah <laughs> i i remember watching it live and i remember don cherry and brian williams arguing about it after the game because cherry thought it was great and williams thought it was an embarrassment so i absolutely yeah not just the video man i watched it live for sure yeah uh i got one more for you greg hoggood former nhl defenseman joining us and i, I really appreciate your time I have a standard question, so a lot of listeners probably know this is coming. I often ask it of ex-players, and I never give the the player any notice because I want the honest reaction. Who's the best player you ever played with? Who's the best player you ever played against? Well, I you know I'll I'll have to you know I I have to say I guess in junior because he's my teammate and stuff, and he works with you. So I I would say for junior for sure. It's playing with Brownie, um, you know, somebody that puts up 212 points and just to play with him for that long and see, you know, how dominant he was, um, was pretty amazing. So I'll, I'll give you two for that. So for junior, um, that, um, I guess for pro, um, you know, uh, I really learned to appreciate Ray Bork playing with him in Boston. Um, you know, he, he would just log so much ice time and the responsibility. Um, and, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to play with guys like Jagger and Lemieux, but it was such a short amount of time that, um, that you know, I, I feel, you know, I got to sit with Ray and, and watch him for two full seasons and just the amount that he took on and how much he meant to that team, I would say that um, he was pretty special. Um, you know, the best, best player I played against, geez, you know, I think... It's pretty tough to top Gretzky um, because he saw things that, you know, um, I was hoping that the coach would pull me off the ice if I was out there so I didn't have to deal with it. But just sitting on the bench and, and you know, he's throwing a puck to an area and then you're thinking, you know, why the heck is he doing that? And then all of a sudden there's somebody right there. So his vision and the way he approached the game was something special. And I was fortunate enough um, to, to see him live and, and play against him. So it's pretty tough to go against Gretzky.
Awesome. Greg, I, I wish we had time to cover more ground. Maybe, I hope we can find time to, to do another segment with you because uh, incredible story what you're up to now working in a maximum security prison in Kamloops and awesome memories uh, from your, your career. We didn't get to talk about the current NHL, so, so maybe next time. Sound fair? Yeah, that sounds good. Anytime, uh, you know, pleasure to talk with you. That is Greg Hoggood checking in tonight, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right. We're off and running tonight. Greg Hoggood on the show. How about that? Works at a maximum security prison in Kamloops. So he says they change jobs every couple of years. He says he works in the control booth involved with the uh, movements of inmates. Incredible. What a journey after hockey for him. And uh, said that Rob Brown, the best player he ever played with in junior. Can't argue with that. Rob did get over 200 points in a season. And in the first half hour of the show, Riley Scorgy. 11-year-old player getting ready for a game tonight at 7.30, part of Minor Hockey Week. And she has uh, 54 goals in 20 games this season. Guillain-Barre's syndrome. I think I'm starting to nail the pronunciation, thanks to Blair on the text line. Great to have them in studio. Oh, we are far from done tonight, folks. Brent Gogol's going to hop on after the show, one of the most penalized players in, or he's going to hop on after the news. One of the most penalized players in the history of the Western Hockey League as we uh, go through Volume 2 of Enforcers Week. We had Darcy Hortichuk on last night. We're going to have Brent Myers on later in the week. And uh, Gogol was on for Volume 1. When did we do that, Kellen? Late in, uh, late November, I want yeah, to say? Yeah, late November, early december Late November, around there. We did it in 2017. Exactly, And yeah. uh, he was the star. So it, it's a return engagement. Yep, the buckle up, everybody. The the encore appearance for uh, Brent Gogol and uh, fisticuffs of a different variety. Eight-time women's world boxing champion Jelena Mergenovich is going to be on the show as well. She's getting into business, uh, has a gym open downtown. We'll catch up with her. It's going to be a lot of fun. want to remind you, some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Enjoy a cold craft beer or a great glass of bourbon with modern soul food and other tasty treats at Northern Chicken, 10704 124th Street. Quick update, just one NHL game going on at the moment. Boston leading Montreal 2-1 about nine minutes into the second period. Later on tonight, Penguins at Ducks. Oilers continuing their bye. They will be back at practice on Friday. They'll play Vancouver on Saturday. Of course we have it for you. 6.30 for the face-off show. 8 o'clock for the drop of the puck. UC Jokinen, remember him briefly in Edmonton Oilers at the start of this season, was traded to L.A. L.A. put him on waivers. He's been claimed by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Back after the news. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.